Good day. Welcome to our Bible study. Today we're going to start a new chapter in John chapter 3. We'll be covering verses 1 through 12. And the title of today's lesson is Jesus Teaches Nicodemus. <clears throat> Reviewing back from the last several weeks. Remember, in the book of John, we've seen in the last few weeks where Jesus turned water into wine. That was his first miracle, right? right? But we also said that wine represents represents joy, represents happiness, right? There's a message behind that, that in a marriage or in a family setting, as long as Jesus is first place, then it never gets boring because Jesus is good. Jesus makes things better. So in a relationship, if he is at the center of your relationship, things never get boring and dull. As a matter of fact, as time goes on, he told us things just get better. We also see where Jesus goes down to Jerusalem for Passover. And we know that Passover represents redemption. And that's the whole reason why Jesus was sent here onto this earth is to redeem us. So we can have a chance to be in the eternal kingdom of heaven, right? But we, we've seen that when Jesus enters the temple courts, that it's not a house of worship, he finds out. But he already knew this, right? But he finds out that it's a house of what business, it's a house of commerce. And Jesus gets angry, right? Because it's okay to be angry if it goes against sin or it goes against injustice. And, and Jesus seen this and Jesus gets angry and he flips over tables and he cleanses the temple, if you remember. And he does all of this and the Pharisees ask him about what sign can you give us that you have the authority to do this, right? And remember last week, Jesus said that, you know, I'm going to tear down this temple. And in three days, I'm going to rebuild it. Well, he wasn't talking about the physical temple. If you remember, he was talking about what? His body. He was speaking about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Right? Because that's what it's all about. It's about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But what we're going to see today is this. Setting focus, it changes focus onto a man called Nicodemus. And we're going to find out that this man has, he's powerful. He has a lot of authority. You know, I also find out that he's the best teacher in Jerusalem at this time in Israel, right? Because he's head of the Sanhedrin. He's head of the religious organization, what also controls the state. There was no separation of church and state. Everything was under one rule. So with that being said, open up your Bibles to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and we're going to see that Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Nicodemus knows that Jesus is the Messiah by what he's doing, because only God can put the power on him to do that. Nicodemus knows this. And we're going to see that Nicodemus goes to Jesus and has some questions for Jesus. But Jesus answers him, but he really doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. The whole message of today's lesson is, although that Nicodemus was a religious leader, he was the best teacher, he was the best rabbi at this time. He really didn't understand the truth of God. Why? Because he was so focused on the traditions of the elders, on man-made laws, right? And, and we're going to see that the message today that Jesus is trying to teach us is that we need to rely on truth. We need to rely on him because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And that's why we need to rely on truth and not man-made traditions. So open up your Bibles and let's start with verse 1. 1 through 12, 
in the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 1, begins like this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are the teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with you. And Jesus replied, very, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. But how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is gone. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are the teacher of Israel, said Jesus. And you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Let's go back to verse 1. In verse 1, states this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, <clears throat> the phrase, there is a Pharisee, we know that the Pharisees were a religious group, right? And we've seen that they're actively present in the New Testament, especially in the four Gospels, right? And we find out <clears throat> that most of this group Jesus. You see, when we think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, both religious groups, we think that every one of them was against Jesus. But we're going to find out that that's not necessarily true because there was two people. Here's Nicodemus is one. and Two very important people. And the second one we talked about in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to talk about again later on in the Gospel of John, is another man, right? Joseph of Arimathea. Those two men were religious figures. They were high, high up in the Sanhedrin. But yet they believe and they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. We're going to find that out as we continue in our studies, right? So we know that these Pharisees, they followed Jesus everywhere. They followed him because they were looking a way to entrap Jesus, right? To get rid of Jesus, to, to put him in prison and maybe even eventually put him to death because they felt that Jesus was a threat to them. So we can say besides Jesus' disciples, the next group of people that spoke the most against Jesus group right here was the Pharisees. And, and you might ask, why? Some people would say the Pharisees were, were, were far removed from the things of God, from the truth, you could say, right? And, and this, this is true in a sense. But I think the reason Jesus spoke to them was because of their mindset, because of their movement, right? You see, the Pharisees had a desire, and, and that desire was to live a life that was submissive. But here's the problem that they had. 
They were submitting to a group of doctrine and laws that were man-made rather than submitting to the commandments of God, rather than submitting to the law of Moses, right? See, I talk about this the last couple of weeks. I've talked about this where they don't only read the Torah. They came up with man-made rules, elders of the law. We call it the Tamu. And the Tamu was written decades before Jesus came onto the scene. And they did that so when they taught the, the, the Jews, the, the Israelis, make easier way for them, for the people in general, to understand what the commandments of God talked about. But the problem was this. As time went on, they took the Tammud and their man-made rules and laws and they fit it into the scripture to benefit them. So today... They study more of the Tammud than what they do. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, right, especially after Jesus was crucified, they go back in that Tammud and they write in the Tammud that Jesus was not the Messiah. So today they're still waiting for that Messiah. Remember, there were two Messiahs. Messiah been Joseph, Messiah been David, right? Mashiach been Joseph, Mashiach been David, we had said, the Jewish people. But they really focus on Messiah and then David, Messiah and then David from the lineage of David because he's a warrior. And that's what they're looking for. That's what they're looking for at this time, right? They wanted a kingdom, but they didn't want a, a biblical kingdom. They didn't want the kingdom that Jesus was speaking about because it went against what they believed. See, they wanted a kingdom where they could rule. It's all about them, right? That We had said that last week, right? So, so they're submitting submitting instead of the, to the truth of God, to the commandments of God, they're submitting to what? To man-made laws, man-made rules, right? So let's go back to the scriptures. So this man named Nicodemus, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Bible says. Now, this man Nicodemus was the leader. We're going to find out the teacher. He is the best teacher in the land at this time, right? So we we see that this religious group, the Pharisees, they only didn't control the people on the spiritual side, on the religious side, but they also was in control of the government. You see, the state was ruled by religious doctrine is what I'm trying to say. It wasn't, it wasn't a separation of like we have it here in the United States of church and state. So the scripture tells us that this man, Nicodemus, was the ruler of this group and the ruler of Israel. You see, again, it was ruled by religious doctrine. Scripture tells us, right, that if you go just by religious doctrine and you neglect the truth, then you are blinded. Then you will be deceived by this world. We're going to get more into that, what I'm talking about, as we go on in this study today. So going back to the scripture, we see that this man, Nicodemus, is known as the teacher, meaning that he is the best teacher of the law at this time. Verse 2. So he, he came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus did, the Bible says. So why does he come at night? There's two things that we need to understand here, right? First off, the term night, when used in scripture, means a lack of understanding. So just like we say in English language, we say that when people are lost, they're in the dark. In other words, they're confused. 
They're not thinking correctly. Maybe they don't understand, right? So we can say that Nicodemus, because he comes to Jesus at night, he doesn't really understand. He's in the dark, right? He doesn't understand what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is teaching. We can say that he wasn't aware of the truth of God, right? That's the message that God's trying to tell us here. That even though he was the leader and the best teacher, he didn't understand. Another thing we can say about Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night was that he was fearful. See, he didn't want the Sanhedrin. He didn't want the Pharisees to know that he was meeting with Jesus because that religious group, government of, of, of the sector of government, you can say the Sanhedrin, they hated Jesus, right? But we see something different in Nicodemus because Nicodemus really believes that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Now, we know that Nicodemus had been watching Jesus. We know that, that Mary, the Bible tells us Mary, we're assuming Mary Magdalene, we don't know for sure, but it's Mary, that Mary was possessed by a demon. And Nicodemus tries to go and free her of that demon. Nicodemus, he thinks it's beyond him. He just can't do it. He can't, you know, he thinks this this this, this woman, Mary, will, will never get well. After he leaves from trying to run the demon out of her, we know that Jesus was sent to this woman. And Jesus, he's the one that was responsible for that demon leaving Mary. And that's why Mary started following Jesus. She became a disciple of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about Mary, his mother, right? It's just a Mary. And Nicodemus sees this woman out in public. He's amazed that the demon has left her. And he thinks it's because of what he did. But this woman, Mary, tells Nicodemus, it's not what you did. It's what a man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth did. And from that point on, Nicodemus started following Jesus and watching Jesus perform miracle after miracle. And he sets up a meeting through Mary with Jesus. He goes to Jesus at night. Now, at night means lack of understanding, right? But it also means he can be fearful. But he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. Why do I say that? How do I know that? Because the scripture tells us here. Let's go back to the scripture. He says he came to Jesus at night. And look what he said, Rabbi. He said, Rabbi. Now, that's important because this means my great one. It's a term of allegiance, right? Now, what I want you to see is this. We will see later on when we get towards the end of the Gospel of John that it isn't just Nicodemus that thinks that. It's also Joseph of Arimathea who was also a member of the Sanhedrin. He was high up in the Sanhedrin. He and Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus is the teacher. He's the best teacher in the land, right? And we know that these two, what they did, when Jesus is crucified, they receive, they take Jesus' body off the cross and they bury him into a tomb. They give Jesus a proper burial after he was crucified. Now, <clears throat> why do I call out these two important people? Because they knew that Jesus was the Son of God. Because he calls him rabbi here. He's saying, you are my great one, right? Remember, what rabbi means, it means it's a term of submissiveness. But look what else Nicodemus tells Jesus, continuing on in the scripture. We know that you are the teacher who has come from God. Now, I want you to focus in on that phrase, we know. So, he's telling us here, he means 
them, the religious sector, the Sanhedrin, right? He tells Jesus that the Sanhedrin knows that he, Jesus, was sent by God. And why and how do we know this? Look at the rest of the scripture. He says that no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God was not with them. So he is saying that, that we know you come from God because of all the miracles you perform, right? The only way you could have done this is through God and by God. And he is saying that this proves that you really are the Messiah. I acknowledge you as the Messiah. That's what he's saying. So we can say that the Sanhedrin knew Jesus was the Messiah. But you see, here's the problem. They didn't want that type of Messiah that Jesus was. They didn't want a suffering servant. They didn't want a suffering Messiah. They, were, they, they see they weren't sensitive about sin in the world. When, when they thought of the kingdom, they didn't think of this biblical kingdom that Jesus was going to rule, that God was going to rule. They wanted a kingdom where they ruled. They wanted a warrior that would come and defeat the Romans. They knew what Jesus was doing, that Jesus was teaching went against what they believed. It's gonna, it was going to destroy their plans, right? So you can say they were prideful. And what's the downfall? What gets most people into hell, the Bible says? Not me. The Bible says it. It's pride. It's sinful. And as long as you don't let God do away with your earthly ideas, your plans, right? then you're never going to be obedient to God's will. You're never going to be obedient to God's plans that he has in store for you. See, he came to bring about a change in your life. What, what, what the prophet Isaiah tells us, right? The prophet Isaiah tells us that God's ways are not our ways, right? And that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. So you see, you may have great plans for your life, and God's never going to move in that way. Why? Because he has something better for you, right? And I want you to understand it. It's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that God doesn't care about you. When you pray for something, because the Bible tells us in Matthew that you pray for anything you want, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it. Because if it goes against the will of God, then God's not going to move. And God's not going to allow that to work in your life because he has something better. So going back to the scripture, the people at this time, they didn't want suffering Messiah. But this man, Nicodemus, he's different. He comes to Jesus and he understands. And he tells Jesus, I know that you were sent by God to do a certain job. Verse 3, Jesus replied, very, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, the word born again is very important because it means you want to change. A change is taking place, right? So it means that we must become a new creation. That's what born again means. A new person that comes from God's work, we can say, right? So Jesus tells Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God. This simply means that you're not seeing things from God's perspective. You see, and here's the truth. These people here, and the people at the end of chapter 2 from last week, if you remember, see, those people were members of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. The people here that we're talking about today, right? Nicodemus, right? They, they knew that there was a kingdom. See, the people last week, they couldn't perceive that kingdom because they didn't understand what that kingdom really was all about. Let me just tell you this, right? There's many people today. They say, you know, I go to church and I, and I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I read his word, right? I do good works for the church. I do good deeds. But I'm going to tell you this. Unless you understand the truth of God, unless you perceive the truth, nature. in other words, unless you're walking with the Holy Spirit, unless you're allowing the Holy Spirit 
to lead you, to guide you. And as long as you are not committed fully to the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be living a very frustrated walk with God in your spiritual life, right? So you're going to be quenching the Holy Spirit. You got to have the right perception about the kingdom of heaven and what it all involves. And what it all involves again is being born again, right? It's putting Jesus first place. It's committing to him a hundred percent. Knowing him. Spending time with him every morning in prayer. Because you see, you can't allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to work and move in your life because you need to listen. You need to let him lead. But unless you're spending time in, the, in, in prayer, unless you're seeking the Spirit every day, then you're not walking in complete obedience to God, right? Because you need to be walking in the Spirit. You see, before I became walking in the Spirit, you can say I was living in darkness, and surely everybody, every other follower, every other born-again believer, right? But once I received Christ in my life, then, then I seen how ungodly I was before, right? How selfish I was before, how sinful I used to be, right? But you see, when a person receives the Holy Spirit and they're born again, that person truly repents. That person wants to follow Christ. That person wants to take on the character of Christ, wants to take on the attributes of Christ, wants to do the will of God, right? See, that person is thinking kingdom-minded. But you see, unless you're born again, then you're never gonna have that ability to understand what God is up to, amen? See, when we're walking in the Spirit, and you're letting the Spirit lead, you don't want, if you sin, that Holy Spirit pricks you, pricks you, and then you know, so what you do, you repent, because you don't want to let Jesus down, amen? Right? See, the Spirit warns us, and when the Spirit warns us, if you're truly following Jesus and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, then you're going to repent and you're going to want to walk in Jesus's shoes and take on Jesus's character. Amen. But look what else Nicodemus says. He doesn't understand what Jesus is saying here, right? Because he says, how can someone be born again when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. So God is revealing to us in the scripture, the problem with the Sanhedrin. Remember this man, Nicodemus was the leader. He was the, the head of the group, the head of the Sanhedrin. He's the leader. He's the best teacher in the land. And we know that Nicodemus right here, he has no clue what Jesus is talking about. He's lost. Right? So this just shows us, that's what God's trying to tell us in the scripture here. It shows us that the religious sector in that time didn't believe in truth because they really didn't understand the word of God. You see, Nicodemus hears a spiritual truth he based it off of human reality. He hears being born again, and he thinks in the natural, right? He thinks a mother giving birth. He's confused. He's missing the whole point about being born again. You see, he thinks just like most of us would think today. He thinks in the natural, but we got to remember that God is supernatural, right? So we see that Nicodemus has a question. He says, if I'm old, then how can I be born again? See, he doesn't realize that this is the outcome of baptism. And, and remember, baptism plays a very important role in this, right? Because remember, John the Baptist, who paved the way for Jesus, right? What was he doing? He was baptizing people in the River Jordan. He was preaching about repentance, right? And preaching about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, who was at hand, he said. 
And, and here is how important baptism is to a new believer, right? It's, it's, it's a rebirth. You see, baptism represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So when I'm physically baptized, I'm bringing physical testimony, you can say, in my faith to the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You see what happens. When you immerse, it represents death. When you're going down in the water, it represents burial. What happens? You rise up, you resurrect. That represents the what? The resurrection, right? So it isn't water baptism that makes a change in our life, right? When you're a believer, when you're born again. But but what it is, it symbolizes, right? That it is a commitment and acceptance. That you are committed to Jesus and that you are accepting and you know that he is the Messiah, that he died, he was buried, and what? He was resurrected by the Father. That's what baptism represents, right? And this is what caused all of us, right? Believers to be born again, amen? Verse five. And Jesus answered, very, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and of the spirit. So water right here has to do with cleansing. And normally when we, we, we think about repentance, right? And when John talked about repentance, it was a water baptism. He talked about it, right? He's baptizing people in the River Jordan. He's speaking about what? Repentance. He's speaking about what? The kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven is near, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John is saying that it is through repentance, a desire to move away from your sin, right? He will not be changed, right? But it's only a part of it. It only symbolizes that. But it's a necessary step. In the spirit of God. Now remember, there's a relationship between redemption and the spirit of God. See, those who have been redeemed, the seal of their redemption is the giving of the Holy Spirit. So he says there is repentance. Through that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this right here, the Holy Spirit, is what brings about a new birth. This is what change a person. It's the Spirit. Verse 6, look what Jesus says. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the spirit. So he is saying that one who is living in the flesh, right, if they neglect the spirit, then what's going to happen? They're going to continue to sin. They won't be forgiven. Because flesh equals the world. The world equals darkness. The world equals evil. Darkness equals evil. That's what he's saying, right? But he's saying if you born again, if you live in the spirit, right, then there's a new birth of the spirit that takes place in you. And when you're walking in the spirit of God, that person's going to want to continue to walk in the spirit of God because that person's going to be repentant. He's going to repent of his sins, right? He's going to try to obey the best he can the commandments of God. And the minute he breaks a commandment, because we're all going to break the commandments, because we all sinful, we're all human, but you're going to repent of it. You're going to ask for forgiveness. You're going to show love. You're going to show mercy. You're going to show compassion towards others. Did the Sanhedrin do this, we can say? By all our studies and what they indicate, for the most part, they didn't show compassion and mercy on people because you had to follow their man-made laws, the laws of the elders. And if you didn't, then you were judged, right? But it's not them to judge. It's not you and I to judge other people. There's only one judge. There's only one king, and that's Jesus. Amen? Verse 7, you should not be surprised at 
by saying you must be born again. So he is saying that this must happen, being reborn to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is only through God and his son Jesus that this will happen. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going, he says. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So now he gives an example to us, and he uses the word wind. And wind right here represents the Spirit, represents the Holy Spirit. So he's giving us an example about the wind, and he's saying, you know, when you hear the wind, you can hear it, but you don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going. What he's saying is that you have no control over that wind, but human does now you know jesus does god does that's what he's saying here right you have no control over that wind so he's relating that to the holy spirit and what he's saying here is that once one receives the holy spirit once one becomes you can say being redeemed right being born again that he acknowledges the spirit of god and the spirit of god is what controls him in other words you have to submit to the spirit and once you submit to the spirit there is no longer you in control, but the spirit is in control. And that spirit allows you to do the plans, the will, and the purposes of God. Because God has a good plan for your life, right? God wants you to enlarge his kingdom. He wants to fellowship not only with you, but other believers. And being a disciple is for us to enlarge the kingdom, right? God's given us each a talent, a gift, and an ability. And you need to use that to further his kingdom. Use that and you submit to that. You submit to his will. You listen to the spirit lead you and guide you. That's what he's going to do. See, you got to be willing to give up what you want. You're going to fully commit to the God and you fully commit to the Holy Spirit. You're fully going to commit to Jesus, the Trinity. Then you got to allow the spirit to lead and guide you, which means I got to deny myself. And Jesus said that. If you're going to be a follower of me, you got to deny self. You got to pick up the cross and follow me. Some of us, that's hard to do. But Jesus is commanding us to do that as a believer in him, as a disciple in him, right? So going back to the scripture, he says, so it is with everyone born of the spirit. So what he's saying right here is that we need to be submissive to the leadership of the spirit of God. Amen. Verse nine, how can this be? Nicodemus asks. So he says, I heard all that you said. But you gotta, still don't understand. I see. I don't understand. How all these things can can become a reality in my life, he's saying. So we can say that that Nicodemus really doesn't doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about, right? Because you see, he's looking at it from a from a fleshly standpoint, from an earthly standpoint, and because he did that, he's deceived, he's lost. Verse ten: You are the teacher of Israel, Jesus says. You do not understand these things. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, "You're the number one teacher. You're the best in the land." You're the best that the Jews have to offer. And, and yeah, you still don't understand what I'm teaching, he says, right? See, Nicodemus was the wisest teacher. He knew the Torah inside and out. He knew the Tanakh inside and out. And Jesus is telling him, you're the best that they have to offer, but yet you don't understand what I'm talking about. So let me ask you a question here, right? When you hear the word kingdom, what do you think of? Now, I'm not speaking about the new heaven and the new earth, right? The new Jerusalem. But I'm speaking about the millennial kingdom. You see, there's a lot of people that get confused about this term. See, 
Some believe that we are living in the millennial kingdom right now, and that's totally ridiculous. It's ludicrous to even think that, right? Others are so confused and they're so frustrated about what the word of God says about the millennial kingdom that they just deny it flat out. They say there is no millennial kingdom, right? And this is the most popular and growing theological thought on the millennial kingdom today. Why? Because when we look at the scripture prophetically and from the new covenant, the new testament, we see a relationship between the law and the millennial kingdom, right? I said last week, What's going to be the constitution of the millennial kingdom? It's going to be the laws of Moses, right? And we know that through prophets. We know that through the New Testament. But, but people don't understand that because it goes against most people's theology. Because they don't understand what God is up to, right? So what they say is this. There is no millennial kingdom. And we know that that is not true. Because you look at the book of Revelation. It speaks about the millennial reign. It speaks about the millennial age. If you go to the prophet Isaiah, he speaks about that millennial age also, right? So it's in the prophets. And we know that the, new, the Old Testament, the prophets, points to what? It points to Jesus. It points to the cross, but it points beyond that. That it points to what? The millennial age and the new heaven and the new earth, right? The new Jerusalem. Verse 11. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. So... When Jesus is speaking here and he uses the word we or he uses the word our, he's speaking of the Trinity. He's speaking of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I know that? Well, let's go back to the book of Genesis, right? If you look at the book of Genesis, God says, let us make man in our own image. Well, who's us and who's our own? It's God the Father, God the Son, and it's God the Holy Spirit. Is the Trinity, right? Again, the world was formless. It was dark, right? But the Spirit hovered what? Over the deep, the book of Genesis says. So there was never a time that Jesus did not exist. There never was a time that the Holy Spirit did not exist. It's three in one, the Trinity. All three of them was there from the very beginning of creation. They created it all. God did, right? So, also, in Scripture, we know that the number three means for the purpose of testimony and witness. That's what the number three means. So Jesus here is speaking about the Trinity. So he says, you people have not seen. You've heard the teachings, but still you don't believe and you don't understand. Last verse for today, verse 12. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. So he says, I've told you all these things in an earthly manner. Where you can understand, right? But yet you still don't get it, he says. But look what else he says. How then will you believe if I speak heavenly things? So Jesus is saying, you know, I'm coming to speak to you in earthly terms. Something that you think you would understand, but yet you still don't get it. You still don't understand. So how are you going to understand me if I speak in a kingdom manner? So what Jesus wants us to see here is this. That the, this religious organization, the religious leadership, right, of Israel, they had far removed themselves from the truth of God because of their man-made rules, because of the laws of the elders, the tradition of man. You see, and what God wants us to, to see here, the message is this, that as long as we are listening to the teachings of man, right, that we're going to be deceived. That we're going to be misled. We're going to be misinformed. 
not really submitting to the truth of God. Now, I want you to understand this. I, I, I'm not saying I have a problem with religion. Because we all involved in some type of religion. This is just a Bible-based church. Amen, if you are. Praise God. Right? But what I want you to see here is no matter what sector of Christianity you're in, Catholic, if it's Protestant, if it's Baptist, whatever. You gotta know that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Amen. John 14, 6, Jesus tells us that He is the, the way, He is the truth and the life. And no one goes to the Father but through Him. That Jesus is first place. I don't care about no other religious rules that they put in that say you you gotta get to heaven if you do this, 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 and this. That's a lie. That's, that's blasphemy because it's Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to the kingdom of heaven, right? Put Jesus at the center of your life. Put Jesus at the center of your family. And if you put Jesus first and you believe, you commit to him, right? You're going to see Jesus face to face in heaven. You're going to be honoring and worshiping him. You're going to praise him, right? You're going to be fellowshipping with Jesus. Every single minute, every single day throughout eternity. Amen, right? See, it's only through the Word of God. It's only through the Holy Bible, right? That we can be transformed, that we can be born again, and that we can be people that are ready to enter into God's kingdom. Amen? And that ends our lesson for today. Hopefully you got something out of it. We really appreciate you all tuning in and listening. Go be a blessing for someone this week. Go speak to them about the kingdom of God. Show them, right, how you act, how you relate to problems in the world. God is in control, that Jesus is number one, that Jesus is first place, that Jesus rules. Until next week, we love you guys. God bless.